going to fall for that one. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. May God be praised for the word that He has given us this day. May He add His wisdom to that word. The title of the sermon this morning is Things Christians Get Wrong. Now maybe we could rename this and say things Christians oftentimes misunderstand or maybe misuse or not get a full grasp on. I think any of these statements this morning could really... Um, could stick to how we approach certain things as we attempt to comfort and help, and I I use quotes around that word, others, and we're going to see a little bit about that as well. Most of the time, they're well-intended. Maybe we even try to sound profoundly spiritual when we use some of these words for other people. Other times, it's simply just the best that we have. Let me give you some examples. We often Things that we oftentimes get wrong. We talk about naming it and claiming it and how so many people fall prey to that kind of thinking. It oftentimes leaves God out in the cold because we don't get what we want from Him and we blame Him for it. We look at, at karma. And that's a concept that can be used at just about anything outside of Christian thinking, of of Christian faith. It's all about works and wonder. I'll keep trying to do, but I wonder if it's going to be good enough. And then we can look at the simple statement that things happen for a reason. Am I stepping on any toes yet so far? That's another one that leaves God in a rather precarious position if you think about it because He'll get the blame for many things when bad things happen to good people. Today we're going to look at another concept that even the non-Christian can quote quite well. This morning we're going to talk about something that you and I, whether we mean to or not, are really pretty good at it. It's a subject we know, but how well do we really grasp the terms. The subject is judging. There's a passage that I think next to Jesus wept that may be the second most quoted passage in all the Scriptures. And as I said, the non-Christian will be right there with you quoting it. Judge not, lest ye be judged. It's the first words of our reading this morning. makes us feel really pious when we say those words, doesn't it? Never judge a book by its cover is a biggie as well. We see this in the Scriptures in in a little bit different way. but And this is in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, if you look at this thought concerning judging, and you take it out of context, I think you might be able to see that you've missed the mark entirely on that particular thought. 
God was leaving Samuel and He was going to go find the next king of Israel. And while Samuel was looking around at the sons of Jesse, standing right there in his presence, fine young men that they were, the way it sounds, they could, might could have been a line for the, for the Green Bay Packers. They were just that big and, and broad. But they, he, he thought, surely, surely the new king is going to be in the midst of these guys. That's what Samuel was thinking. And God says, not so fast, Samuel. I don't care about the appearance or the height of the next king. I've, I've rejected all these guys anyway. So you're wasting your time. I'm looking for the youngest. You and I might call him the ruin of the litter. It wasn't the obvious choice in Samuel's eyes. But then again, God's choices usually are not our choices anyway. Our judging would probably have just slowed things down for God if He had asked us for our opinion. Judge not, we're told. Key point in Matthew is verse, in this particular passage, verse 2, chapter 7. If you judge others in one way, you're going to be judged that way, He is saying. Judge harshly, in other words, and we're going to be judged accordingly. Look at just a few verses before uh, Beyond verse 1 here, it says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. And we're not going to hit on this too heavily because quite honestly, this is a parable almost in itself just in that one verse. But we're going to look at it in conjunction with judging. Now, is Jesus talking about pigs and dogs here? No, He's talking about folks who act like pigs and dogs in a way at least. Maybe not intentionally, but it comes out that way. But how do you know who is what? Never thought about that one? It takes a little bit of judgment, doesn't it? To know who's a pig and a dog and all that other good stuff. You have to judge a person's actions and decide whether you can trust them or not. We have judgments that we have to make concerning trust in others' capabilities every day, do we not? Whether we mean to do it or not. Let me give you an example. Yeah, someone that's really a good friend but you know they lack a certain amount of stick to let's say. You're less apt to ask them to keep an eye on your house and get the mail for you if you're going to be gone for a couple of weeks than, say, the neighbor who you don't know very well, but you do know that he takes good care of his house, he takes good care of watching over, secure-wise, his house, and he takes his mail in every day. You can't afford not to have those sort of things done. So who are you going to ask to take care of your house for you. Whether you realize it or not, you've just made a value judgment based on the character of your friend and of your neighbor, even knowing both the way you do. The thing is, is you will not live day to day without these kinds of, of base judgments, if you will, having to be made periodically. It's just, you can't do it. But Jesus didn't mean that we shouldn't make judgments about people. I don't think anyway. He did so on numerous occasions Himself. He simply meant that we should be very careful in how we do it. Be careful how you judge someone else, He says. If you're harsh with others, God will be harsh with you. Show mercy to others and God will do the same for you. James 4, 11 and 12 makes this statement to us. Brothers, don't slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. 
when you judge the law, you're not keeping it. <clears throat> but you're sitting in judgment over, over it. There's only one lawgiver, one judge, and one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? In other words, who are we to play God? There's only one God and you ain't Him, James is telling us right here. But you see, most of us don't see it that way. We many times think that we can see with the same set of critical eyes that God can. Most folks have the idea that for whatever reason they have the right to sit in judgment of others. Especially if they think that they are experts at what they do. If others don't live or even worship like they do, they have to be doing it wrong, not me. I wouldn't be doing anything wrong. That's the basic attitude that we have when we judge someone else or we talk about how they worship or how they're wrong at worshiping because we don't do it like they do. They're the ones that have to be right. There's the measuring stick right there, okay? We feel compelled to say something about uh, to someone about that sort of thing. If they're worshiping wrong, hey, you know, you shouldn't be thinking that. You shouldn't be saying that. Standing up at church, you say amen to the pastor. Oh my goodness gracious. Well, maybe God will look down on you and smile, you know. That, that's how people do. We see this in almost every denomination in the world today. Amen. Thank you. And what does that do? When we see this sort of talk going on, this disunity within the church going on, what's going on? We are fracturing the church. We're not fracturing a denomination. We are fracturing Christ's church right then and there. I'd like another amen on that, please. Thank you. We judge so often but we only, at best, most of the time, know half the story. And that's just not enough. I'm really bad about judging others, questioning their intelligence. But I bet you all are too. Ever gone to a ball game and you holler at the referee because of his lack of good judgment or the fact that he's not able to see a foot in front of him? I mean, obviously he could make better calls if he would just look at what's going on. I mean, you're only halfway across the stadium and you can see it much better than the guy right there five yards away from the play, right? Uh-huh. See, I hit on that one. We are, or ever question the intelligence of a driver in another lane. <laughs> or folks who don't know what turn signals are. Or stop signs are actually meant to be stopped at right then instead of just being glanced on and gone. Yeah, we get mad. But we also, on occasion, of course, we might just question where they got their license from. Like maybe out of a bubblegum machine or, or perhaps maybe from Sam's Club on a, on, a, on a good day, on sale day. Or maybe they got it out of the Sears catalog before they closed it down. Or my favorite, they got it out of a Cracker Jack box. I will shoot my mouth off periodically about things like that, and then I am reminded by any one of a number of people in my house, they will quickly remember. Remember who you are. You're a preacher. All right, all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you're not supposed to be human, you know. 
Well, we are reminded again and again not to do that, and we all do these things. Shoot, I'm liable to do it before I even get home from church today, okay? Why do we do it over and over again, though? You ever thought about that? Judge people in every aspect of life. Because we do that. We can look at somebody we hadn't even talked to before, and we judge them immediately. Why? Maybe it's because we think we're smarter than they are. Or, or we have a better education than they do. Or we have more insight in when we drive, for instance. Or perhaps it's because we think we're better than they are. Or maybe we've lived more of life and we have wisdom on our side that they obviously were not privy to. There's been a statement made by teenagers. Andy, I want you to close. My grandson Andy's here today. <clears throat> I want you to close your ears on this one, okay? Because I'll never hear the end of this. There's been a statement made by teenagers for, I guess, generations. I used it, I know, when I was a kid. Especially when it comes to being in high school and you're noticing girls or boys for the first time and you're starting to change yourself and all that kind of good stuff. <clears throat> I use these words on my adult children. I used them on my grandchildren as we were raising them. I still use them at times, even on all of them, even though they're adults now and some even have their own children. They're words you don't understand. What do you mean I don't understand? I was a teen once. I was young once. I faced all the stuff you all had to face. Or did I? Of course, our memories are, are really short. We're all legendary when you, know, when you get to be my age. You were legendary when you were a teenager, all right? But in all actuality, what we faced as teens and what our kids and our grandkids face today are as different as night and day. There are no drugs around when I was in school. There was discipline and there was respect in the schools. Things that you seldom see anymore within our own schools. Policemen are now assigned to even our elementary schools, roaming the halls constantly to keep trouble down. We had God in schools when you and I were young. A lot of us, when we were young, they no longer have God. They showed God the back door the same day they brought the police in the front door. Computers are wonderful. And yet, suicide among teenagers is growing by leaps and bounds because of social media that allows too much information of who we are to be delivered to a world who does not even care. It's a world dying to add one more victim to its list of destruction. Folks, it's significantly different, even one generation ago. And yes, sadly, we don't understand many times what they are facing, as hard as it is for me to have to admit that with my grandson in the room. And yet, I can hear him when he gets home to his wife. You know what Pop said today? Yeah, no I didn't. I really didn't. <laughs> And yet, we will offer a judgmental comment on someone or something in a heartbeat, won't we? Oftentimes, we look at the faults of others to simply make ourselves feel better about our own inadequacies. We look at others, and as the Scriptures say, they have a speck of sawdust in their eye, while at the same time, we have a plank, or in the ESV, I love it the way they do it, a log in our own. That, to me, is an interesting way to look at this problem. We fail to see that we are as guilty about some things in life as anyone could possibly be. But we are not ready to admit our weaknesses. 
our guilt in whatever the problem might be. Jesus tells us, hey, hypocrite, yeah, I'm talking to you. What you say you what you say you get that log out of your eye before we start talking about trying to get the fruit your friend's speck out of his, okay? You might even be able to help out a little bit better with him if you do that. I've often heard that when you point an accusing finger, do that, do this, okay? Everybody. Okay? When you do that, there are three of your own pointing right back at you. Yeah? And yet, when I spend my time pointing out other sins, it takes my mind off my own. Makes our sin not seem so bad, doesn't it? But when Jesus warns us that we need to clean up our own act, but He does warn us we need to clean up our own act before we can help anyone else. Does that mean we're not to give any input at all? No, I don't think so. But we should never add our thoughts or come up with our own thoughts in a harsh, judgmental spirit unless we are to be judged in that same way. Henry Ford, I think everybody knows who he is, noted former car builder, late car builder, once explained how he interpreted God's thinking in this way. Don't find fault. Find a remedy. Give someone a helping hand. Don't destroy them, in other words. You notice how Jesus went about reminding others of their own guilt rather than harping on someone else's? story of the woman caught in adultery in John 8 comes to mind. The man who supposedly apprehended her bring her to Jesus in an effort to, to trap Jesus, but also in an effort to soothe their own consciences about their own sins, I would think. You remember what Jesus does in this particular story? He offers the men a remedy. A remedy to their own situations, reminding them of their own sins. He was those three fingers pointing right back at him in his own way, reminding them of the sins that they had, the log they had in their own eye. Remember as well, and I think this comes with experience in these matters, but from the oldest to the youngest, all walked away from the woman after thinking about Jesus' challenge to them. John 8, verse 7. If anyone of you is without sin, let them be the first to cast a stone at her. But you see, that story didn't end there. Jesus, arguably not knowing the entire situation, I'm sure He did, but at least giving fair value to everything, didn't say anything more, does not confront the lady with her sin. Did you notice that? He doesn't offer any kind of sage wisdom on the sin of adultery or anything along those lines. But He doesn't judge her or preach to her either. Instead, Jesus gives her a remedy to her situation as well. A very simple statement to her. Go and sin no more. He didn't tell her, now, if you just stay around some of your friends from church and, and be a little bit more active in your church, you wouldn't get into this kind of fix. Or, you need to stay home and, and keep the home fires burning or next time I won't be so intent on saving your bacon. He didn't do anything like that. He simply reminded her through a few words that she needed to make changes in her life. 
But you know what? Anybody who reads that story in John 8 could use those same words. He simply reminded her she needed to make changes. And He does the same for us. He reminded the men about the beam in their, or the log in their own eye, but to be less concerned about the, the speck of sawdust in the woman's eye as well. I think this is a great, great lesson for us. We are not to look down in self-righteous judgment or on another sinner because that's what we all are. We are fellow sinners. Romans 3.23, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. As I have told you all before, it's the one thing in life we're really good at is our own sin. Verses 6 and 7 of our reading reminds us again, we will run into some folks. Jesus called them in His example pigs and dogs. And as hard as you try, you'll not be able to get through to them. No matter how much we care about them in certain instances, we should walk away from them before we fall into the sin of judging them in some situations. Luke 7, 36-50 tells the story of Jesus and the woman who came to Jesus. and She washed His feet with her tears and dried them with her hair and then anointed His feet with expensive perfume. You remember the story. Simon was a good friend of Jesus. Simon was also a Pharisee. And yes, if you read Luke, you're going to find out Jesus had a lot of friends who were Pharisees and all. It wasn't an us-against-them type of thing. He was friends with a lot of, of, of guys like that. But you remember, the Pharisee was giving Jesus a hard time for allowing this woman to do what he did. Well, Jesus reminds him that when he walked in, he didn't give him a traditional kiss as he entered into the house. He didn't have Jesus' feet washed when He came in. And yet this woman, a woman who as it says in verse 37, lived a sinful life and did for Jesus what His friend did not do. The sins of this woman were forgiven. Why? Because she loved much. For those, He says, who have been forgiven little, they love little. Once again, Jesus gives her a remedy. Go and sin no more. He gave her credit for knowing what her sins were. He didn't have to point them out to her. Just like we don't need to point out others' sins to them. So, in closing, how much do you love? How much are you willing to love? Perhaps another question might be, how willing are you to judge others? Are you willing to, be, to help others? Or would you rather, like I often do, shoot first and then ask questions later? For those who have forgive, been forgiven much, you know the value of mercy, don't you? Simply look at your life before and after Christ. But do you truly understand the value of showing mercy to others? Judge not, we hear. But are we really listening? Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We praise You and ask Your blessings upon Your Word this morning in a greater way than perhaps we understood before we heard it. I ask You, Lord, uh, help us to be less judgmental about even the simple things in life. 
Uh, yeah, we all get aggravated. We're all in a hurry. Things, uh, people before us are always slower than, than we are. And, and, and yet, maybe they're just keeping us from some severe accident. Maybe they are in front of us intentionally to stop us and slow us down and help us to think about our place with You. Maybe they're even slowing us down so that we might hear those words that Jesus told to so many different people. Go and sin no more. Help us, Lord. Guide us, strengthen us, and grant us Your wisdom in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.